The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passions making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. just worship God and thank Him right out loud. Where would you be without Jesus? Come on, won't you just lift your voice and thank Him. Lord, we worship You. We bless You today. We honor You today, Lord. There's no one like You. Hallelujah. I'd like to just prophesy over uh, this uh, young lady with the red hair all the way back. You, here, wave at me. Okay, yes, you, just stay right where you're at. There's a great transformation that's taking place in your life. Um, you know the Lord. I've had experiences even as a child growing up, hearing the gospel. You love to worship. There's a, there's a worship gift that's upon you. And you will write music, says the Lord. I even see you playing multiple instruments. There's been like a, an assignment of the enemy to try to steal your praise, to try to rob the joy that comes to you even while you sing and while you worship. The Lord is touching you even now. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. For you've begun to experience the joy once again. It's like an alabaster box that just breaks open before the Lord. For hasn't he done great things for you? truth is, you shouldn't even be here, but God rescued you, and He brought you out, and He brought you through, and I see, I see music, and I see worship, I see the blessing, I see the oil of joy, beauty, He keeps giving you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness has been broken off of you. You will fulfill the purpose for which God has you in the earth. There's a revival anointing and a powerful unction of God. It's even passed down. I see generational blessings even passed down upon your life. So Lord, touch this precious daughter of yours and bless her. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's a good word. Somebody say amen. Remain standing. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. 2 Chronicles 29, preaching the second message in the series called The Christian Citizen. The Christian Citizen, 2 Chronicles 29. I want to give a special shout out and a, greet, a greeting to my mother. What's up, mom? Love you. Hi, mom. All right, we love you. Praise the Lord. My mom's online from Florida today. 2 Chronicles 29. We're just going to read two verses of Scripture in the New International Version. Are you ready? On your marks? Get set. Not that it's a race or anything. Here we go. Go. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Can we read verse 2 together? Everybody all together. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've done and what you're going to do right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone to somebody say amen. amen. You may be seated. 
Last week, we preached a message called The Christian Citizen, part one. This is part two. And in that message, I read from Chesterton's parable called The Lamp Post. And I read a section of this in the last service. So this afternoon, I'm going to read it to you again for those of you that are not here. Chesterton is a great thinker, author, writer, influenced people such as C.S. Lewis. And uh, here we go. Chesterton's lamp post, a parable. Suppose that a great commotion arises in the street about something, let's say a lamp post, which many influential persons d desire to pull down. A gray-clad monk who in the spirit of the Middle Ages is approached upon the matter and begins to say in the arid manner of the schoolman, let us first consider, my brethren, the value of light. If light be in itself good, at this point, he's somewhat excusably knocked down. All the people make a rush for the lamppost, and the lamppost is pulled down in ten minutes. They go about congratulating themselves on their unmedieval practicality, but as things go on, they don't work out so easily. Some have pulled down the lamppost because they wanted an electric light. Some pulled down the lamppost because they wanted old iron. Some because their deeds were evil and they wanted darkness. Some thought it not enough of a lamppost. Some too much. Some acted because they wanted to smash municipal machinery. Some because they wanted to smash something. And there's a war in the night, not knowing what man strikes whom, so gradually, inevitably, today, tomorrow, and the next day, there comes back the conviction that the monk was right after all. And that all depends on what is the philosophy of light. Only what might have been discussed under a gas, a gas lamp, we must now discuss in the dark. The lamppost represents truth, represents the Word of God. And in America, the lamppost has been pulled down. Now we don't generally in, in the nation don't vote uh, according to what is truth biblically, but according to what is popular opinion. And it's a great tragedy. Last week we spoke about the Apostle Paul and how in Acts he is being beaten and persecuted by Jews from Asia. And he's rescued, sort of, by Romans. But they're going to scourge him. They're going to whip him 39 times, 40 lashes minus one. And he brings up the, the, the understanding that he's a Roman citizen. He says, I'm a citizen of Rome. And they back off. It's like fear grips the whole Roman squad there that's got him and is going to scourge him. Because Romans had the right of a trial, and they'd not tried Paul. And so you can see fear comes on them, and basically they have to let him go, and he goes into the religion for the religious leaders before the religious leaders of the day, and, and they question him, and he wisely brings up about the resurrection causing dissension between Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Pharisees did, and they begin to argue among themselves. I talked about how, as Christian citizens, we have to stand up and begin to vote and make a difference. That democracy depends on us. Democracy doesn't work without us voting. 
and talk about how democracy is very fragile. I gave an illustration about how an antelope Oregon, some of you know where that is, Rajanish and his thousands of followers basically invaded that state and they almost basically took over, but the federal government stepped in. They voted, put their own people in place. My wife read a statistic to me today that there is 80 million evangelical Christians in the U.S. of A. 40 million of them are registered to vote. Only 40, only half. And half of the 40 million, 20 million actually vote. And of the 20 million that vote, many vote in a way that is uneducated, uninformed, and not according to biblical truth. We have a problem in America. When our nation was founded, and we do have notes for you, so we'd encourage you to fill those in. When our nation was founded, we were seen as a Christian nation based upon the truth of God's word, the Bible. I read the statistic, it's hysterical to me. Out of the 55 delegates, the Constitutional Convention, 93% of them were Christians. <laughs> if you figure out what 93 of 55, 93% of 55 is, 51 point something. I'm not much sure what the point something is. It's like a... Maybe a backslidden Christian was there or something. I, I, I don't know, but 51, 52 of them were, were Bible-believing Christians. George Washington, our first president, if we go ahead and put that on the screen, if you have it. George Washington, our first president, he is um, purported to say, quote this, it's impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. John Adams, our second president, said the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. Andrew Jackson, our seventh, seventh president, said the Bible is the rock of on which the republic rest. Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president, said, America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify the elements of righteousness which are derived from the elements of Holy Scripture. You cannot get away with our nation being formed by believers, a city on a hill. Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president, said, the foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. In other words, he's saying if these principles aren't taught in the country, then basically the teachings of which our government are based they're not going to be supported and we're all going to fall apart. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. Guess what's happened in America? That very thing. The lamppost has been torn down. Harry S. Truman, the 33rd president, said, The fundamental basis of our nation's law was given to Moses on the mount. Talking about the Ten Commandments. The fundamental basis of the Bill of Rights comes from the teachings which we get from Exodus, from St. Matthew, from Isaiah, and St. Paul. One of the most profound moments in the history of our nation is when George Washington and his inauguration, which took place in New York City, not in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is not around yet. Took place in New York City. 
He opened the Bible and he put his finger on a verse of scripture and, and he read that. Then he took the delegation and he marched them to this chapel, St. Paul's Chapel in downtown Manhattan, where they had a four-hour prayer meeting. Four hours. Obviously, their, their perception or understanding of separation in church and state is a little bit different than ours. It's a fascinating fact that that building is uh, right near the World Trade Center, uh, right in the same proximity. When the World Trade Center fell on 9-11, many of the buildings all around were totally destroyed. That chapel right there was untouched. You say, well, how is that possible? By an act of God. And I believe it was God saying that uh, uh, an acknowledgement that our, a covenant was made between God and our nation, and that's exactly what our forefathers did. You can't read the Constitution of the United States of America not see it filled with biblical truth. The branches of government, executive, legislative, judicial, they were given by our forefathers and established because they knew the depravity of man. They, they, they write and they say things like, if we didn't have these balances, then we would have a, we would have a tyranny. We would have a, a tyrant once again. And yet these very things are being torn down. The lamppost is being torn down. The understanding of inalienable rights comes from a biblical awareness. It, there was a political scientist that got together in 1984. They formed a study to find out what shaped the actual thinking of our four founding fathers. You know what they found out? As they studied the founding fathers and all their writings and speeches, letters, and books that they wrote, they found that one-third of their speech was Scripture. One-third of everything they did and everything they said and everything they wrote, one-third of that was from the Word of God. One-third. What shaped their thinking? The Bible did. Clearly. William McGuffey, and we have a picture of Brother McGuffey. There he is. Author of the McGuffey Reader, which was used for over a 100 years in American schools as the primary textbook. It says the Christian religion is the religion of our country. From it are, deri deri are derived our nation on the character of God, on the great moral governor of the universe, he writes. On its doctrines are founded the peculiarities of our free institution. From no source has this author drawn more conspicuously than from the sacred scriptures. From all these extracts from the Bible, I make no apology. In other words, that textbook that was used for over a hundred years was based on Scripture. Those who practiced law would study the Scriptures. Charles Finney, one of the great revivalists, he wasn't even saved, but he was on his way to becoming a lawyer. But they would study the Scriptures in the training of becoming a lawyer and in that process became a believer. Listen to this. The original Harvard University student handbook to show you how far our institutions have come. In 1636, the original student handbook says this, and I still believe this to be uh, paramount as we train our students, as we continue in our studies. This is crucial. 
Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which, which is eternal life. He quotes John 17, verse 3. And therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Proverbs 2, 3. That is from the original Harvard University student handbook. One of the most liberal schools in our nation today. We have moved far from where we used to be. As we look at our text this afternoon, to understand the backdrop, Israel has been divided into two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. Israel was the ten tribes of the north. Judah was the two tribes to the south, totaling twelve tribes. The nation of Israel was separated as an act of judgment for the sin of Solomon. Rehoboam and Jeroboam became the kings, and it was separated. And the ten tribes are basically carried away into captivity, never to be seen again. It's called the Diaspora. And the two tribes remain in Judah. And it's in that context that we read about Hezekiah. Now, King Ahaz was Hezekiah's father, king of Judah. He was a reprobate. <laughs> he embraced paganism, and he brought further judgment, basically. Israel and Syria had fallen to the Assyrians. Judah is in a very precarious position. So Judah remains. Israel's gone. Ten tribes are gone. Judah is the only one that remains now. Hezekiah becomes king. And Hezekiah becomes king, and I, as I, look, I looked at that, it talks about his mother. His mother was uh, Abijah, I think it says, the daughter of Zechariah. Obviously, his mother had a great influence because he became a great man of God and followed did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, not in his own eyes, in the eyes of the, of the Lord, even followed as his father David, referring all the way back to King David. And the first thing he does of becoming king, and it reminds me of David, the first thing that David did when he became king is he looked for the ark. The first thing that Hezekiah does is he reopens the temple. The temple doors had been shut. They basically closed down the temple. There was no worship. There was nothing going on. They were just given over to total paganism. And the first thing he does is reopens the temple and reestablishes worship of the true and living God. He has a Passover. If you read, we only read two verses, but if you read the story of Hezekiah, you'll find that he reestablished the nation's covenant with God. And he leads a nation with revival. Now, Judah is then threatened by the Assyrians the same nation that came to destroy and take away Israel and carry them off to captivity, the northern tribes, comes now to snatch away Judah. And it's a scary moment, no doubt, for them. ISIS, or wicked, a wicked, evil organization, no doubt. But what ISIS does is nothing in comparison to what the Assyrians do. If you had studied the Assyrians, it would freak you out. I'm not going to tell you any of it because you won't remember anything else I say for the rest of the service. 
You'd just be like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. In fact, they were so horrible, so wicked, when they showed up to a, a city or a town, the city's like, it's the Assyrians! And everybody's like, you can just take over because we're not going to have you do any of that stuff. To, they just capitulate to the Assyrians. That's how wicked they were. They were renowned evil. And so the Assyrians come to confront Hezekiah and Judah. And they're talking outside the, 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 the gates of Jerusalem. And, and those from Sennacherib, that's the king of Assyria, are talking to uh, Hezekiah's leaders. And they're talking in the language of the people of the wall. They're talking in Hebrew. You say, well, why would they speak in Hebrew? Assyrians didn't speak Hebrew generally. The reason they spoke in Hebrew is because if you look at what they, that, that leader from the, the king of Sennacherib says, he tells these half-truths mixed with lies and to confuse the people of the wall. It's just exactly like Satan, how he whispers and causes confusion and half-truths and mixed things. And in fact, the leader of Hezekiah's leader, representative there, says, don't talk in the language of the people. Hezekiah takes this decree that they're come basically to wipe them out, and he brings it before the Lord in the temple, and he prays and calls. It's in a beautiful prayer, calls on God, and he gets a word from Isaiah the prophet, and Isaiah says, I am going to bring a message to him. The Lord says, he's going to receive a message. I'll put a hook in his jaw, and I'm going to turn him. You don't have anything to worry about. He's about to be totally wiped out. They, they, they take their stand, and that's exactly what happens. A message comes, and the army of Assyria turns to go back. And it, it says that one angel kills 185,000 Assyrians. One angel. I've heard people say, oh, God, send a whole band of angels, a whole band. You don't need a band. You just need one. One will do. One angel is going to deal with Satan, takes a chain, wraps it around him, throws him in the lake of fire. That's just, just one. One angel. Amen. And God blessed Hezekiah and the nation knew peace. Chapter 32, 2 Chronicles, verse 23, talks about that. He just knew peace and God blessed him. I want to speak to two different groups of people uh, this afternoon. The first group of people is the candidates, those that are running to office. I'm to understand that from time to time we've got candidates that are here as well as those online. I am also aware that our, our podcast and our web stream goes all over the world, so I'm just going to take it for granted that perhaps we've got candidates that will listen to this message. And so the first thing is, as a candidate, understand that religious freedom is the greatest inheritance that we have. It guards all our other freedoms. It's incredible to think that... that What's taking place in Houston would even happen in our country. It's an abomination. Hezekiah determined to open the temple. And you, sir, ma'am, those of you that are candidates and possibly running in office, whether it be a state level or a county level or on a national level, when you stand in your office, know that it is religious freedom that guards the rest of our freedoms. And don't ever forget it. You sit in your office, remember the First Amendment. Remember it, like Hezekiah did. We're so far from truth that people now align themselves with political correctness. 
I departed from the political correctness on my two messages here talking about politics and just going for it because I realize the hour that we're in. We, we need to stand up and vote, people. If you've not registered to vote and you're of age, well, you need to repent. And then you need to register so you can be a part of the next election. Amen. And then you need to vote. Come on, you can vote today. There's early voting today. You can vote today. You can vote tomorrow if you're registered. You can, and then the day is Tuesday. You say, well, I don't have time. I don't think you don't not have time. You'll stand before God for whether you voted or not and for how you vote. And we have voter guides out there. Religious freedom is a tremendous thing. If we lose it, then we're going to be in trouble. We must base our laws on truth. Speaking to the candidates, our laws need to be based on truth. There's lots of pressures to conform to many different ideologies out there. Base laws on the truth of God's Word. We don't believe in, and you know, truth. there is absolute truth. And it's the Word of God. And so decisions that are made really need to be based on God's Word. What God says is right. What God says is wrong. Be a leader with personal integrity. You'll hear over and over, oh, that's my private life and my public life. Don't judge me according to my private life. Anybody ever heard that? That's the biggest bunch of bunk I've ever heard in my life. Because if somebody's willing to lie to their wife and commit adultery on their wife, then what do you tell me they won't do to you? Well, they'll, they'll lie to me. They'll lie to you. They, their private life does determine their public life. You can't separate private and public. What you are in private is what you will be in public. Amen. What you are in the dark, the level of holiness that you have, the way that you live when nobody's going to catch you, nobody can see you, that is the level of maturity that you have in God. That's the level of holiness you have. Protect the people. That's one of the reasons you're in office, is to protect the people. Natural resources were preserved by Hezekiah. Remember Hezekiah when you're in your office. He preserved the natural resources. He did? How did he do that? What are you talking about? He knew that Assyria was going to come, and he built this miraculous tunnel. It's a Hezekiah's tunnel or aqueduct. And he built it coming from the spring outside of Jerusalem to bring water inside the city. Why would he do that? Because he knew that if he didn't have water, he was going to be in trouble. And he built this. It's miraculous. In fact, on just a number of years ago, they found an aqueduct uh, right there in Jerusalem that held this, all of this water. As a public servant, we need to see our, our natural resources preserved and well-managed and stewarded. Here in Alaska, we've got amazing natural resources. And in our nation, we have amazing natural resources. Truth is, we don't even need oil from overseas. Amen. We don't need oil from overseas. It's all a farce. It's all, it's, it's, all, it's all a joke. It really is. We, 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 we have natural resources here in America that are just untapped. There's, there's a flood of crude on the market now. That's why you're seeing gas prices drop. We don't even need to be importing any oil from OPEC. Give me a break. That's the truth. All right, I've got an amen somewhere. So where was that? Praise God bless you. Amen. It's just true. We need to see our natural resources preserved just like Hezekiah did on a state level, on a national level. He built towns for people. I think it's important for people to have their own homes, to have their own land. It's crucial. It's amazing, really. And it's a great opportunity that we have in America to have that.
He made a military strong. And I will tell you that we need to have a strong military because there's evil out there. And if we don't have a strong military, they're going to end up on our soil. I'm just, I'm just saying they have already ended up on our soil. All right. Number five, he personally sought the Lord for wisdom. And I think that's what every single leader that's a part of our, that, that's leading in our nation needs to seek the Lord for wisdom. And, and the second group of people, he's talking to us. I'm, I'm not running for office. I'm a pastor. I don't know if you're going to run for office or where you're at, but all of us can get some truth from this scripture as the worship team come, please. Let's believe and work for a great revival. We could have a great, great revival. Would you believe with me? Would you believe for that? You see, that's the answer to America. The reason, and I've said it so many times before, the reason that the revolution in the, in the United States, the revolution, the, the departing from England, where their war cry was no king but King Jesus. That was a war cry of the American Revolution. The reason it was that way was because of these great revivals that hit the Northeast. Amazing, widespread revivals. I believe that we can have another revival like that, another awakening like that. Maybe it'll start here in Alaska. Can you say amen? It could happen. Elect people that hold your values. Now, I've corrected myself. I think this will be the fourth time I corrected myself, and then I'll just let it lie. Last week, I said something to the effect, if you vote just Democratic, you're a moron. Now, what I meant was, I had people congratulating me and saying, Amen. But really what I meant was this. You don't just vote party lines. Don't just vote straight Democratic or straight Republican. Vote the issues. Vote the issues. The main issues we face, same-sex marriage, abortion, and I believe legalization of marijuana here in Alaska. It's a major problem. It's a big issue. Vote the issues. Find out. Can we have one of those, uh, one of those guides? Okay, great. Can I have? Can I have that? Thank you so much. We have these guides. Thank you, Edna and and Noel DeVries, who gave this to us. We have these guides. Decide 2014. You vote the issues. Can you say amen? These have questions and answers, and uh, you can see the questions that were asked right there. And you can see the answers that the different uh, politicians, that those running for governor, lieutenant governor, senate, you can see how they voted on all the questions they were asked. All the questions they're asked basically have the, the values of the, that we have, biblical values. And they ask all the hard questions. And then you see where the guy decided not to answer. Well, you can figure out, hello, he wasn't absent that day. He just knew that if he doesn't put anything down, he's got a better chance of saying, yeah, I want to kill babies. You know, I'm for abortion. He knew he had a better chance to just, you know, decline. So you could just, they decline, they're guilty. That's what I say. Amen. Anyway, you can look. You can check that out. Vote the issues. You know something? They have, it, the, the pressure of the world and the pressure of the left and the, the pressure of, of losing a 501c3 corporation has taken that and tried to drive pastors and leaders into little pigeonholes so you shut up and don't preach it. I'm not going to do it. I refuse to do it because I'm going to stand before God. I know I'm getting a little edgy, 
And I'm not saying you have to agree with me. I am saying if you believe the word of God, you will stand before God, whether you believe it or not. Atheists, there's no atheists in hell. You'll stand before God to give an account for how you live. All I'm preaching is the truth of God's word. Vote according to the truth of God's word. And, and do it. Vote. Do it. Can you say amen? It's really a being a Christian citizen. It is your right, your responsibility to do it. I'm glad you're having fun this morning. Look at your neighbor and slap them five and say, isn't it great to be in church? Hallelujah. The elections will be over this week and we'll get back to equipping you. I mean, this is equipping you, but we'll get back to the leading and the direction of the Lord. But it's important to preach this stuff. It is. Lastly, well, we get three more points. Here we go. Number three, connect yourself to the cause, the great commission our Lord gave us to make disciples of all nations. Get discipled. Be discipled. I honor the presidency because it's the presidency. The reason we have people making decisions and voting and doing the different things that they're doing is they've never been discipled. They don't really know what truth is. They're just led according to what they think is the right thing. And the problem with that is that changes. And man is not the center of all things. He's a fallen, fallen human nature. And we need God and we need His Word in our country again to restore us to a place of being the city on a hill to affect all the nations of the earth. Pray for leaders. And number five, well, let me just emphasize it before. Pray for leaders. you got to pray. Pray. I pray for a president every day. Pray for leaders. Pray for those in spiritual leaders. Pray for those in office. Pray for our nation. Pray for our state. Prayer makes a difference. Amen. And lastly, live righteously yourself. Come on, smile at me. Live righteously yourself. I've said it before. So many people get upset about the Ten Commandments being pulled off of the Capitol Rotunda and the, when they haven't been living according to the Ten Commandments for decades. They're all irritated that the, that the Ten Commandments aren't there, but they're not living according to them in their own home. Are you supposed to live according to the Ten Commandments? Say yes. Yes. Can you? No, you can't. You try, but that's why you need a Savior. His name is Jesus. Can you say Amen. It's not a rule book you need. You need a Savior, but we're still supposed to obey the rules. We just need a lot of help from the Lord. All right, I hope you got something. Make sure you turn out and vote. Again, you can vote today, early. You can vote Monday, and you can vote Tuesday. But after that, you turn into a pumpkin. Let's make a difference. Would you stand up on your feet? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're not right with God, I want to give you an opportunity to give your heart to Him today. If that's you, you don't know for sure whether heaven would be your home. God forbid that you died today. Today's your last day. If it is, would you go to heaven? You say, I, I, I don't know. Well, you can die. You've got to receive Jesus. You've got to repent of your sin. Ask him to forgive you. To believe that he died on a cross and rose again from the grave. If that's you, do you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment to him all across this place? If that's you, those online, just slip your hand up if you want to get right with God. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you for your honesty. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you, son. God bless you. See that hand. Come on, let's pray this right out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. 
Thank you for rising again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all my sin and come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Wash me and cleanse me and make me new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray, fill, touch, break every chain, break every bondage. Overwhelm these, God, with the power of your Spirit. Heal broken hearts. Heal broken bodies. Lord, thank you. Give them a hunger for the Word, a hunger for the things of God. Hunger for fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Put your hands together for God. Ushers are coming. We're going to go ahead and receive communion this afternoon as we do once a month. We receive communion. It's open. So anybody can receive communion that wants to. It is a cracker and a cup of juice. And uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper or communion. So you can begin to come from those back rows. And if you want to receive communion, you can. Once everybody's served, we'll, we'll do that all together. Can you begin to come? Amen. Set the cross, set the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burning of my heart rolled away. Cause it was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. And oh, the blood of Jesus.
Isaiah said, though your sins be like crimson, I'll wash them and make them as white as wool. He washes them by faith because of what Jesus did on the cross. We just prayed and made an affirmation of your faith. But right now, once you examine your heart before the Lord just one more time, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. In likewise manner, he took the cup and he blessed it and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood which is shed for you. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So Lord, right now, we're remembering. We're remembering what you did. Your body, your blood, broken and shed for us so that we could be healed, so that we could be forgiven, so that heaven could be our home. And we're remembering that you said that you'd come back for your church, your bride. Even as the first century church would say, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. And we examine our lives right now. Lord, forgive us. Come on, ask God to forgive you for wrong thoughts and attitudes, motives. Lord, forgive us and cleanse us right now. We're sorry. Pride of life, the lust of the eyes, perhaps. Forgive us and cleanse us now. As you are faithful and just to do that, as it says in 1 John 9. 1, 9. So we receive your healing. We receive your forgiveness. And we declare your soon return. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat and drink together. Well, hallelujah. The curse of sin is broken. Somebody say praise the Lord. We hope that you got something. I know it was an edgy message. And as your pastor, I have obligations before heaven to, to preach what I feel like God lays on my heart. And so I trust that you're praying for me. Amen. To do just that. And uh, let's see our nation turn back to God. Amen. Let's see our nation turn back to God. Let's start it right in our own homes. Last thing Jesus did on the earth was bless his people. Let me just close in blessing right now. Father, thank you for your precious people. Thank you for what you've done today in these three services and what you'll do tonight in our 6 o'clock service. Lord, bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance towards them. Be gracious to them. Keep them and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We have a commissioned leaders meeting, 5 o'clock, for those of you involved in that. We'll see you tonight, I hope, at 6, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Bless you. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065 or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.